Hello, I'm Jim White. Welcome to It's Friday, your arts and culture guide to this weekend. Coming up, could this be the latest British heart warmer in the mould of the full Monty? Are you going to play that thing without any music? Yeah. Yeah, I just think, you know, reading music makes things a bit stilted. I'm not sure Mozart would agree with that. Well, the Beatles didn't read music and I think they did OK. And it's definitely the best new band name in some time. Soccer Mommy. Plus, an interview with a comedy legend who still misses his famous partner in crime. Mel, we were all so surprised he passed his 50th birthday, to be honest. <laughs> I remember going to that, and that was just a question with a lot of people coming together and going, well done, Mel, you've made it to 50. Because <laughs> that was the sort of lifestyle he led. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify, and leave us a review. But first, is it really worth forking out to see a major star take to the stage despite the fact they died some time ago? Lots of people this year are heading to see the legendary diva Whitney Houston on tour in hologram form. It's part of a new trend where death is no longer a barrier to a high-profile Hollywood and stage career, with actors cropping up in the latest blockbusters, despite what would have been previously a career-ending case of death. We've heard word of rumours circulating through the city. Apparently, you've lost a rather talkative cargo pilot. If the Senate gets wind of our project, countless systems will flock to the rebellion. When the battle station is finished, Governor Tarkin, the Senate will be of little concern. And it's not just in full-length Star Wars movies. Here's Audrey Hepburn returning from the grave to advertise chocolate bars. Is it bad taste to bring people back from the dead? Or should we welcome with open arms our new zombie A-listers? Joining me are the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner, the Daily Mail's music critic Adrian Thrills and the Daily Mail's TV critic Claudia Connell. Um, Adrian, what's going on with Whitney? I mean, what do we get to see when we head out to watch her in hologram form? Well, as the hologram says, as it, he, she enters the stage, welcome to Whitney Houston, very much live. And... <laughs> but, well, yeah, go on. <laughs> and I think one, one of the um, feedback I've had from the, uh, the reception of her first gig in Sheffield on this the hologram tour is a lot of members of the audience are quite keen to try and expose the fakery of it. So you'd have people shouting, blow us a kiss and get off. And, of course, <laughs> she would just reply with, and this song is my biggest hit. And um, But I think it's... it's on one level, it's quite an astonishing development. I think the music business was very slow to adapt to new technology in the 90s and was, was left standing with the advent of downloads and streaming. It's now embracing technology, you know, faster than, you know, just about anyone can imagine. And 
you know, these hologram shows, technically, they're quite spectacular. The likenesses are really amazing. But there's something very creepy about the whole thing. And it's uh, you go to a live gig for the spontaneity. You want to be breathing the same air as the artists. And in a way, seeing their mistakes, you know, where they go on slightly late or they're off stage for five minutes for a dazzling costume change. You want the Rolling Stones to arrive two hours late. I mean, if they, if they, if they did it. Uh, actually, talking of the Rolling Stones, I mean, could you have a kind of uh, a tour of the Rolling Stones as they were in the 1960s in hologram form? Well, I think technically it would certainly be possible. But, I mean, you, you've got the real thing. I mean, you know, they're getting on a bit, the Stones, but they still deliver such a, a good show and they play those old hits with such elan even now. Why would you want to see... I know that um, in the Maria Callas uh, hologram tour, there was a kind of built-in moment of spontaneity. They, they've got a live orchestra of 40 people or something. They strike up and she holds her hands up and they have to stop and the live orchestra starts again as if it had all happened. In the movies, we are seeing people coming back. Carrie Fisher was in the Star Wars, wasn't she? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Peter Cushing, they brought back from the dead. He, he died in 94 and there he is popping up sort of more than 20 years later in... Uh, Rogue One, the Star Wars story, the, the prequel. So, um, and I think, you know, if, if it serves the narrative, as it obviously did in that case, then sort of fair enough, you know, as long as it is well done enough, you know, the, the wizardry is there, so why not... Why not use it? I, I remember Oliver Reed in Gladiator. I think he'd expired yeah. after drinking 140 <laughs> pints of lager or something the night before. And they kind of used outtakes that had been previously. But yeah. I seem to remember it looked very odd at the time. Yeah. Presumably technology has moved on from Gladiator, which was, what, 1995 or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it has. It has moved on. And, you know, back then, if somebody... You know, very inconveniently, old Ollie popped his clogs during the making of it, didn't he? So they had to do something. They either had to write him out or they had to find another actor to play that part or something. But they, that's what they chose to do because the, the technical wizardry was just about there. What do you want? Hmm? Girl? Boy? You sent for me? Yes, I did. You're a good Spaniard, but you're not that good. You could be magnificent. I'm required to kill, so I kill. That is enough. Um, prior to that, you know, they had to... What did they do when somebody died? You know, in the, on television in The Sopranos, the Nancy Marchand, the, who played the old lady, you know, the, the, the villainous old mother, um, she died in, I think, between series one and series two. So what did they do? They, they sort of had to digitally recreate it with technology that wasn't quite there, and it looked really, really strange, and they used outtakes. Hey, Ma. Look who calls. Well, actually, I'm standing here in front of you. Uh. Hey. So, how's it going? What do you care? Out of sight, out of mind. Put some books on tape, uh, since you say you can't concentrate to read. I wish the Lord would take me now. Well, in the meantime. Now, you know, now they're, they're very good at it, and we've seen the in The Irishman, you know, the the... the they digitalise the younger versions of, of the actors. So, um, you know, as long as it's well enough done and you and you can sort of believe in it, then I think there's a place for it. But if if only if it serves the narrative and if it's just for the sake of it, um, and you know they're trying to hang an entire movie on that technology, like they did in Gemini Man with Will Smith last year, where he played a cloned version of himself, uh, sort of 30 years younger, which was quite weird, and it just wasn't a good enough film wrapped around that technology to kind of quite carry it off. So, Claudia and I were just talking earlier about James Dean, 
uh, being James Dean could be on his way back, yeah, driving those, a car possibly. I mean, uh, Claudia, it all sounds a bit sci-fi. I mean, it sounds a bit like an episode from Black Mirror, doesn't it? Well, it, it, it's ghoulish, but yes, well, it, there was an episode of Black Mirror um, ne- on Netflix featuring Miley Cyrus, and in that episode, um, she wasn't able to fulfil her tour commitment, so her record company replaced her with a, a hologram of herself, which ended up being more successful than she would have been as the <laughs> flesh and blood version. I think, <laughs> in fact, I think that isn't there a K-pop guy who is already sort of sending out versions of himself around the world? I mean, the possibilities are there, aren't they? You know, acts that are still with us could send out their their hologram doubles. You know, Justin Bieber could play six different cities on the same night. And um... that, It doesn't always work, though. I mean, there was talk of an Amy Winehouse uh, tour. I think I think it was actually advertised, and then it all crumbled. I think there were rights issues. Yeah. How would that work? I mean, you saw Amy Winehouse live. I mean, how on earth do you replicate that as a hologram? And Amy, Amy was a kind of fascinating conundrum, you know, a bag of contradictions. She was a maverick. She was... You never quite knew what you were going to get when she played live or, you know, how she was going to perform. And she's an artist also who I think her forte was really the studio. She wasn't a great live performer. And the notion of a of a slick Amy Winehouse set where she just rattles through rehab and all her other hits, it's just, it, it wouldn't be right somehow. It wouldn't be faithful to the, the kind of genius of the artist. Well, if you're going to see Whitney Houston, let us know. But um, thanks to a very live Brian, Claudia and Adrian. <laughs> My guest this week is a comedy legend. Griffiths Jones first seized our attention in Not the Nine O'Clock News, the television satirical show back in the 1980s. From there, his partnership with Mel Smith became a comedy institution. Since Smith's death in 2013, Jones has done a huge variety of things, from acting in musicals to travel writing. Now he's touring his one-man show all over the place. Uh, Griff, talking of all over the place, where have you been recently? I just got back, done an amazing trip across uh, Canada by train, which is just, I'm always going by train. I just went to sort of have a look at it and get snowed on and things. And I'm picking up uh, the second half of my uh, tour because I did the first half of my sort of one-man show, I did that all through from about July right through until the end of December, uh, beginning of December last year. So it's a bit like this is battle, but it's sort of like a never-ending tour. It just goes <laughs> on and on and on. And what do we expect when we turn up to watch Griffiths Jones on stage? I used to obviously go uh, uh, with Mel, and we used to tour around, but they were sort of like sometimes 30 dates, but they were big. I mean, it was just, it was a weird thing to do because, of course, if it, did you see the um, uh, Laurel and Hardy? Oh, yes. The, the fantastic Steve yeah. Coogan movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you sit and watch that, I'm watching that thinking, this is me. This is us. This is what it was like. This is what, you know, I was the sort of like the Stan Laurel, always arguing with the producers. <laughs> handling the script and getting everything together. And Mel would be lying in his hotel room, you know, until four in the afternoon before it was time to go on, you know, watching watching sport and placing bets and everything like that, waiting for me to turn up with what we're doing next. And the truth is that I, I mean, you know, Mel, funnily enough, this is actually true, he would always say, we must go back on, we must, we're going to get back on the road and everything like that. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah. And we actually, when we finished doing things together, which was about sort of 2000, I suppose. It was the last time we sort of appeared. 1997 was the last Smith & Jones. We stayed 
together for the sake of the lawyers. And we spent a lot of time because we ran a company and things like that, we're sitting with lawyers and various things like that. So we'd always meet and we'd always be. And all the time, Mel would talk about, we must do this and do that. But both of us were doing different things. And then Mel died. Uh, really sort of slightly unexpected. Well, not, uh, how can I put this without being, I don't want to be, you know, but Mel sort of, he, we were all so surprised he passed his 50th birthday, to be honest. <laughs> I remember going to that, and that was just a question with a lot of people coming together and going, well done, Mel, you've made it to 50. Because... <laughs> Because <laughs> that was the sort of lifestyle he led. And then when he did die at the age of 60, we all went, what are you doing? And because the funny thing about Bell was that he was just simply not somebody who ever left a party early. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, uh, I was talking with my old mate, Rory McGrath. We were uh, about two years after he died. We were walking down the uh, top of court road together. And we were going nowhere in particular. It was just a night. I think it was, uh, we were going to a party or something. We just said, just, it's amazing. I'll tell you what's great about being uh, uh, here, just walking down the top of court road, is we're alive. <laughs> <laughs> because you compare it with the number of people you think of all the people we knew, we know, who sort of dropped down dead uh, at one, po- one point or another. It's been a war of attrition. When you go well, on stage, do you, do you sort of yeah. feel, feel Mel there? Um, obviously, well, obviously you're on your own, but is he there in spirit? Yeah. I mean, I would start with a tour and Mel would come to me and say, um, I say, Mel, we've got, you know, we'll start, we've set it all up, we've got a rehearsal room and everything, um, and, we get, and we're going to do a week and everything. And I turn up and I sit down there, no Mel. First day would go by, no Mel. Okay. Second day, I get on the phone and say, does anybody know where he is? <laughs> and stuff. And so, so, like, this was a sort of... Mel would like... He felt that more than about an afternoon's rehearsal was actually pushing it for a two-hour show, you know. So I'd... Uh, he was always word perfect, you know, but I'd work with a writer or whoever I was working with, and we'd work out the whole show, and then Mel would turn up and we'd fit him in. <laughs> so, anyway... <laughs> so now, now, you're, now you're on your own. Um, what can no, we expect from you? What can we expect from you? Exactly. My whole show is a sort of Ken Dodd memorial show with people... Griff, you've got to come off now. You've got to come. Griff, I'm going to sound like the guy from the slapstick show. We're running out of time. Just, just as a last thought, you, I saw you as Fagin. Do you do any singing in the yeah. one-man show? I don't do the one-man show, but I do. I've just finished. I've been in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And I interrupted the tour to go to Manchester. And we did, and I played Max, the old dog. And I had two quite complicated songs to sing every night in front of two and a half thousand people with harmonies. Do you know what I mean? You've no idea. This is the other thing that I've, I've suddenly, I've, and I've done that, and I did a Christmas Carol playing Scrooge uh, the year before. And I've done a funny thing happened all the way to the form and faking. And suddenly, this is the man who, in not the nine o'clock news, they wouldn't let sing. <laughs> and now you're out there. And now I am a musical theatre star. And so I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself about. I'm, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready for the king and I. I just, uh, you know, whatever, whatever they offer me, it's, it's such a treat. But I have, uh, yes, I'm, uh, I've become a bit of a, I've become a bit of a, I'm thinking of releasing an album of, you know, like Keith Michelle or oh, something please. like that. Oh, uh, please, Griff, you've, of... you've got to. That, 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 would be, that would be the ultimate. We'll all buy it. Listen, Griff, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and we're all looking forward to seeing you. Maybe, maybe you'll give us a song on stage. It'll be great. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where our critics take aim at the latest entertainment releases and sort the chaff 
from the wheat. Uh, first up, the Daily Mail's film critic, Brian Viner. Brian, what have we got this week? Well, I saw Military Wives, which is the film based on the, the whole Military Wives kind of phenomenon of the choir, Gareth Malone, the BBC stuff. And it's really great. I really liked it. Yeah. Now, that is a and surprise. I, 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 I had a look at that and thought, oh, my word, this looks like a kind of pale version yeah. of the full Monty. Right. Well, actually, it's the same director, Peter Catania, who, as far as I know, hasn't done very much. And it was 1997, the full Monty, a long time ago now. But, uh, it, yeah, it has. It, it, it's as good. It has the same sort of feel-good vibe, and it has the, all the same... You know, it's it's made to a pretty rigid set of formulae, so there's the, you know, the, the friction and the confrontation between characters and then uh, it all gets resolved and ends happily and you know that which is no spoiler because we know that's where it's going but uh, it's very good it's very well acted I'll tell you more about it but let's hear a clip how did people at Flickcroft get involved oh they just turn up with no auditions everyone welcome yeah so it, it, it's, it's like a drop-in yeah and then you commit <laughs> but only if you really want to it's not about experience or endless practice at home although that would be encouraged so it's more about enthusiasm yes what kind of songs will you be singing pop music good old traditional and rousing you rock and it's open to all ranks yeah. right oh yes this choir is inclusive yeah this singing club is gonna be a lot of fun <laughs> and uplifting. <laughs> yeah, and there'll be a few beers afterwards. Uh, Sharon Horgan and uh, Christian Scott Thomas in, yeah. in there. Do yeah. they work as a They as really a work well, yeah. They, they, so they play their two army wives. Um, Christian Scott Thomas is married to the commander of the garrison, played by um, Greg Wise. And Sharon Horgan is the wife of a regimental sergeant major. So they're the sort of the differences in rank and the differences in class are sort of quite sort of permeate the film. It's actually it's a, you know it's like a it's like there are more kind of class nuances than a Jane Austen film. It's quite interestingly <laughs> done all that. But it's it's just so it's the story of those two and it's their you know they they do have a quite a sort of clashing relationship because they're very different women. Um, Kristen Scott Thomas who plays Kate is very uptight and she's also in mourning there's a that she, she's suffered a, a terrible loss which i won't tell you too much more about but um so these two are uh, loggerheads for much of the film and it's a question of you know can they begin to literally pardon the pun but sing from the same song sheet uh in creating this choir which is just a way of getting all the army wives together while the husbands um are off serving in afghanistan so it's it's inspired by the 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 TV show, and um, and I think it is it's likely fictionalised, but you know there's a lot of also a lot of truth in it, and it's I just thought it was very charming and it's very beautifully acted. Um, Kristen Scott Thomas is an amazing actress, I think. I mean, she really is terrific, and she uh, invests a huge amount of kind of poignancy in this role. She's really great. Uh, Sharon Horgan's similarly very good, and all the supporting cast are terrific. Greg Wise makes a very convincing kind of garrison commander. So, yeah, it's lovely. It's, it's, it's a feel-good movie, but you really, you know, you'll find yourself brushing away a tear, I think. So, um, you're going to ask me, is it a hit or a miss? And I think I've given think, away the answer. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a hit. So you wiped away a tear from that, and, yeah. and what else did you see? And, and wiped away another tear in um, towards the end of Onward, which is the twenty-second uh, Pixar movie, and of course Pixar have set a very, very high bar with Toy Story and so on. Um, and so you always go wondering whether they're going to 
manage to do it all again and actually in Onward they pretty much do. It's a, it's rather a moving story about an elf called um, Ian Lightfoot voiced by Tom Holland uh, and he has a an older brother he's 16 this elf uh, pointy-eared elf. He has an older brother called Barley who's voiced by Chris Pratt and they go in their father has died he died so long ago that Ian doesn't remember him and Barley barely knew him uh, and they're trying to sort of bring him back to life with a bit of old-fashioned wizardry. Um, so let's hear a clip. In times of old, the world was full of wonder and magic. But times change. I'm a mighty warrior! Morning, Mom! Hey, birthday boy! By the laws of yore, I must dub thee a man today. Kneel before me. That's okay. I have a gift from your dad. He just said to give you this when you were both over 16. <gasps> no way! It's a wizard staff. Dad was a wizard. What? Your dad was an accountant. <laughs> Pixar right. have a real ability to put character into animation. Uh, yeah. How, how do they yeah. do it? Yeah. Is it just, just in the voiceover? Very good writers, very good voice cast. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, we heard there as the mother. Um, and, it, you know, it's just very, very beautifully kind of pieced together. It's not... I wouldn't say it's, you know, one of the top kind of three or four Pixars because, the, as I say, the bar is so high. But it's it's very charming. And actually, it was, it's written and directed by a guy called Dan Scanlon, who was inspired by the loss of his own father, I think, before he was, you know, they, he, he kind of knew him when he was very, very young. Um, and, you know, to, to put in a bit of a sort of personal touch, my... Uh, you know, I I lost my dad quite young, so um, so I watched it through that prism. You know, so um, so I would have been I'm rather disappointed in myself if I hadn't <laughs> welled up, and I did. It's um, it's very moving. They get given this wizard staff that belonged to their dad, but it's not all. You know, it's elves and and you know all kinds of magical creatures, but it's very much sort of set in a typical American modern town. So Pixar, you know, they they managed to they use that um, to make some you know some great sight gags and some very good vocal gags as well so it's 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 funny it's moving it has all the things that we we want from pixar and i think it'll it's been it's been built as a sort of frozen for boys if you like and and actually i think it that's as good a way as any to describe it and toy story the genius of toy story is that it appeals to the adults taking the kids along as much as it does to the kids yeah this in the same yeah, category very much so very much so yeah yeah it will be yeah the kids will see it on one level they'll they'll love the characters they'll laugh but absolutely, the adults will really enjoy it. And, and as I say, you know, shed a tear because it's very moving. They're trying to sort of revive their father. And then just, and I can give this away because the trailers give this away. And of course, trailers, that's something else we'll talk about another time. But trailers so often are full of spoilers. Um, and so they do manage to half recreate their dad with the use of this wizardry, um, but only the bottom half of him. So uh, <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's, it's very, it's very funny to look at. And it's very well done. And it is definitely, it will be a hit. Thanks, Brian. Take take the whole of you, top half as well, <laughs> uh, away with you. Thanks for that. Agent Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic. What live artists have you been listening to? Well, we've had a few oldies over the last few weeks with uh, the greats, James Taylor and Ozzy, but I've gone for a couple of new acts this week, actually. Um, the first of which is... 
It's an act called Soccer Mommy. No, it's not Madonna's latest alter <laughs> ego. It's it's the uh, nom de plume of Sophie Allison. She's a 22-year-old singer-songwriter from Nashville who's, who's kind of really making waves now, starting, starting to break through. She's got a new album called Colour Theory, and it tackles some pretty heavy topics. It's about her... Her, her growing pains, it touches on depression and various hardship and even um, a, a terminal illness that her, her mother is, is suffering from at the moment. And it, it manages to take these really tough subjects and yet somehow try and look on the bright side and kind of it's an album of, of, of that fortitude and kind of coming through. Um, she's obviously thought quite a lot about it because she's colour-coded it. There's three sections, and she's coloured them blue, yellow and grey. The first section uh, to evoke melancholy, the second for physical and, and mental illness, and the, the third one addressing loss and emptiness. And yet, despite all this you know, kind of really heavy subject matter, it's, there's no self-pity, it's not hard-going musically. She's got a lovely, sweet voice, and she writes, as befits someone who grew up listening to Taylor Swift and Avril Lavigne, she writes these really good pop songs. It's, all, it's really, really tuneful and melodic, and I think we're going to hear a song called Circle the Drain, which, which kind of encapsulates what her, her attitude to music is. Mummy is a very precise demographic in America for a sort of suburban 30-something. That music doesn't sound as though it's necessarily no, going to appeal to them. No, I, th I think the names uh, it drips with irony and and also quite a lot of this humour, even in the kind of darkest corners of her life, that she, she manages to find to find humour and she's very self-deprecating and I, I really like it I think it's a really interesting record and that song there Circle the Drain it's about putting on a brave face just kind of facing the world facing your friends and family and trying to it's almost like keep calm and carry on, but uh, but acknowledging that you know, life can throw lots of challenges at you. So hit or miss, Adrian? I think it's one of the records of the year so far, so definitely a hit. And, and what else have you been listening to? And the other new record that's really um, interested me this week is uh, by a guy called Jonathan Wilson, and he's... Um, he is Roger Waters' touring guitarist. So when, when the, the Pink Floyd guy tours, he's the musical director, he's the second singer, he sings all the David Gilmore parts when uh, Waters sings the Floyd songs. And he's made a solo record. He, he spent the last two years on the road with, with Roger Waters. And I think he felt very homesick while he was there, A, for his adopted home of LA but also he's from South Carolina kind of hotbed of singer-songwriters from James Taylor onwards and actually sorry North Carolina he's very homesick for the South and he's gone back and made a record again in Nashville funnily enough where, where Soccer Mummy's from and it uses lots of it, it's called Dixie Blur and the, the Dixie is a reference to his southern roots and the Blur is the kind of incorporation of, of modern influences and there's a few little electronic washes and um it's really nice. It reminds me a little bit of Springsteen's Western Stars, and it, it kind of looks back to kind of Harry Nilsson, Jimmy Webb, Glenn Campbell. That 
sort of pop classicism, those classic American singer-songwriters of the 60s and 70s. Um, and he's made a really nice mixture of, of, of that kind of classicism and bluegrass and country, which I think we'll hear. Um, there's this song, Heaven Making Love, which is one of the big tracks on the record. <laughs> I'm liking that. I'm liking that, Adrian. Yeah. Both of us nodding our heads during that. Hit or miss? Classic Americana. It's it's a lovely, warm record. They, he um, he was uh, fueled by freshly baked Southern biscuits in the studio, <laughs> which uh, so could he, almost he had, smell them. He had a nice full breakfast, and it's it's resulted in a hit. Adrian, you spend a lot of time watching live music. Any any fear that concerts are going to get cancelled as a result of coronavirus? Yeah, I think you have to look, um, A, at the concerts and more particularly at the festivals in the summer. If the if the virus spreads and, and you know, big public gatherings are going to be put under threat. I mean, it hasn't been voiced just yet and nothing's been cancelled, but I do think it must be, you know, I think as with most areas of our lives at the moment. It's a case of wait and see, but I think there must be uh, some serious questions about the live music scene and how that's going to cope if there were a pandemic. I don't think anyone's ever been to Glastonbury and washed their hands, have well, they? Well, I know. I mean, you know, the uh, the anti-back and hand washers, they're going to be doing a roaring trade, but uh, yeah, you do. I mean, festivals in particular, it's... Uh, you know, quite a few people come back from Glastonbury with various bugs anyway, but um, how, how are they going to cope this summer? You know, it's, uh, it's quite a challenge. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Thank you very much, yeah. Adrian. Thank you. Now the last of this week's hits and misses. This time, what's coming up on the small screen with Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television critic. Uh, Claudia, what should we look forward to this week? Well, on Monday, um, there's a, a new two-part documentary. It's called Miriam's Big Fat Adventure. It's on BBC Two. And this is Miriam Margulies. People, she's a character actress that people probably know from the Harry Potter movies. She was in um, one of the, the BBC's first uh, Marigold Hotel. And she's a very engaging, very sparky character and her appearance must have sparked something in a BBC executive's mind and they thought aha we're going to start putting her in documentaries uh, she's, she's done quite a few this is the latest and it's about um, it's weight obesity she's a big lady and, and she talks about hating her body she's fat she knows why she's fat, but she hates being fat. And she thinks you cannot be happy and fat. And so this is her. She goes out and she goes to um, a military-style boot camp and she meets very obese teenagers. She meets um, people who are fronting the body-positive movement, you know, sort of plus-size models who are Instagram influencers. And she meets psychologists. She meets an awful lot of people in this one-hour documentary. Um, and I like Miriam, and I think she's very good on screen. But I, hit, my problem with this is... We're in March now and we've had all through January, February, we've had endless programmes about weight and healthy eating and this this to me felt like it didn't really add anything to the debate I'm afraid as much as I love Miriam. Let, let's hear from Miriam. You can be fat and happy. Yeah. I have always thought that you couldn't be fat and happy. I have believed that. And now I've come here, I'm really not sure that I was right. Because you are happy and sexy, I can see that. 
thrilling to see people owning themselves. There's a certain irony, isn't there, that there's a television programme where everyone's sitting on the sofa watching it with a bag of crisps in their hands. Yes. Talking about... Do, do these programmes ever have any history of changing people's patterns of behaviour? Well, most of the people that she meets in this programme don't don't want to change. They're, they're saying that we we shouldn't have to. It, this is It's society that's got to change. But, of course, we know that we have an, you know, a, a diabetes crisis. So I, I, I would disagree with that. She, she's, a, she's a very um, engaging person. Yeah, she said, but she can funny. also get stroppy. I remember on the, the Marigold Hotel, she got into an argument with some Trump voters when they visited Florida. And she's got opinions, hasn't she? Yeah, does she, she, has keep, got does she keep them to herself or are they uh, part of this show? Which, no, I'd say she's a little bit toned down in this. She actually, one of her, her stories that she tells when she's always on Graham Norton is how the, the uh, Queen told her to shut up. I think she was at an official receiving line and she was just talking and the Queen, who never says anything like this, just told her, be quiet. <laughs> so um, should she be quiet here or is it here to a miss? Um, I'm, mm, I think it's a miss. So what's what else have we got to look forward to? Okay, well, on Tuesday on, on Channel 4, there's a new dating programme that's called Five Guys a Week which sounds dodgy. It's not quite as dodgy as it sounds. <laughs> yeah. it's like, so, yes, so, sorry, it's, it's, it suddenly <laughs> occurred to me what it meant, yeah. <laughs> yes, I think we have a clip here. These single women are about to try a different kind of dating. Okay, breathe, breathe, breathe. They're inviting five potential suitors. Hello. Hi. Oh, my God! To move in with them, all at the same time. To even my five boyfriends. Can these new admirers vanquish the opposition? Just going on looks. I'm not just exterior. Try to see you a good-looking lad. Win the approval of friends and family. I'm I'm sorry, what? And make it to the end of the week. I'm going to ask you to leave. I'm going to ask one of you to leave. As five guys. Well, amazing. But is it too good to be true? Become the one. The thing I love about this is it's me doing the picking. Goodness me, Claudia, that mm. doesn't sound uh, the most original idea I've heard. Well, uh, Channel 4, they're the ones that brought us married at first sight. Do you remember when they had, they got complete yes, strangers yes. to marry and four series in? Surprise, surprise, none of the marriages worked. So this is, this is a whole new concept. So a young uh, single girl get, invites five single men to move into her home for a week and she sort of picks them off one by one until she ends up with the one that she thinks is right for her. Um, so this time, the first week, it's um, a, a very nice, very attractive woman called Amy, who's a divorced single mum who works in marketing. And she has five guys to choose from and they include a, a surfer, a very rich banker. Um, but the, the character that made me cringe was this guy called Scott, who used to work in a bank and now uh, fancies himself as a country and western singer. And he turns out, he just has his guitar with him at all times and just randomly bursts into song and also talks in a very strange American accent occasionally as well. So it's all in the casting, basically. It's, yes, it... it's it's kind of like, it's one of those, you're, you're cringing when you're watching it and you're watching it through your fingers. But dating shows are really big at the moment. There's a show called Love is Blind on Netflix that's huge and everybody's talking about on social media. So do you think this will work? Is I, it I, th I think this will, this will be a hit. It's, it, it, it's not good, but it will be a hit because people are going to be talking about it. It's a hit, Claudia, but I suspect you may not be watching the next episode. Well, I, the first episode, the very guy that I absolutely didn't want Amy to choose is the one that she went for, so that's never going to work. Spoiler really alert, is. spoiler alert. Yep. Well, now you know what's worth watching this week, and the ones where watching paint dry would be the preferable option. My thanks to Brian, Adrian and Claudia. 
Now let's find out what's on everyone's mind on the other side of the Atlantic and who better to tell us than the woman who knows, the male's own Jackie Stephen. This week, Jackie, even Hollywood has begun to feel the chilling effect of coronavirus. Uh, are there any high-profile casualties? Well, coronavirus is pretty much all anyone's talking about in Hollywood because what's happening now is lots of the countries are stopping gatherings of people. Well, this, of course, might affect the box office. There's very little that James Bond can't stop in his tracks, but even he isn't invincible. Fans have been left distraught this week when it was announced that the release date of Daniel Craig's swan song, No Time to Die, has been put back by seven months because of the coronavirus. Now, it was originally scheduled for April, and producers say they've given careful consideration and thorough evaluation of the global theatrical marketplace. To be honest, I think that's a euphemism for we really need to make a tonload of dosh from this and we're damned if some pesky bug is going to get in our way. <laughs> and I think also it's a bit disingenuous. On the one hand, they're saying, oh, it's only a movie, the health and well-being of fans around the world and their families is most important. But in actual fact, they're saying we care about this movie more than anything. Yes. And, and the irony, of course, is that it's called No Time to Die. Which, uh, <laughs> it could be the time to die. Uh, and what about people's sort of interactions? I mean, have you stopped shaking hands with people? Are people fist-pumping instead? Well, there's been one the death in uh, New York City, and I couldn't believe it. This week I went to, to Trader Joe, which is a very, very big supermarket, and it's one of the cheaper ones. And the queue was right around the store. People were panic buying like it was Christmas Eve. I've never seen anything like Whoa. it. Uh, quite a lot of face masks being worn. But, you know, at the moment it's one person, but we don't know how far it's going to go. This is the, the difficulty. Now, for every person who's having a bad time, of course, like the box office and moviegoers, there are people who are actually enjoying it. For example, Saturday Night Live um, has just done some very, very funny stuff about uh, the American election, and they had Larry David, who returned as Bernie Sanders, and he was saying, because Bernie Sanders is all for universal health care, so in character, Larry David said, universal health care doesn't sound too crazy now, does it? And then he went on to say, nobody wants to come near me, much less touch me. I'm in heaven. <laughs> so comedians are having a really, really great time. Now, listen, the, the, the people who are most under threat are old people. Well, that's basically all the politicians who are going to be president of the US, isn't it? I mean, everyone in the Democratic uh, nominations are sort of over 70. Trump's over 70. They must be most at risk. Well, I think that's a, they're not only are they incredibly old, all the people in the debates are incredibly old as well. It, people talk about America as being a very young country and, oh, there's only young people on TV. But when you watch it, when I've been watching the debates, it's incredible. They're sort of just old dudes everywhere. And you, you wonder why there aren't younger people coming through. It's time for you, Jackie, to get on oh. that soapbox. Well, I couldn't be president because I wasn't born in the States. Ah, yeah. Uh, another upside... It's the only reason. It's the only reason. <laughs> the other upside, by the way, is that the subways are so 
clean. They're down there scrubbing them like crazy this week. It's like delegates at an OCD convention. It's fantastic. Oh, really? So uh, the New York authorities are out there making sure everything's disinfected, are they? Oh, yes. It's, it's incredible. They're absolutely wonderful. That, that's the great thing about New York. Apparently, we're the safest place on the planet uh, because the mayor is there getting everyone in order. It's being run like a military operation here. I was due to fly somewhere next week and uh, I'm not going now because they've put the fear of God into us. Oh, really? So you're sticking, you're, you're in self-isolation, are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big panic person, uh, but um, I, I quite like self-isolation. You know, and I'm in a nice apartment overlooking the Hudson, and I'm writing a new Shakespeare play. Well, a new play. It's a follow-up to Shakespeare's Coriolanus. It's Ooh. called Coronialanus. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. It's going to hit Broadway. There'll be no one there to watch it, of course. No, that's the I'm only drawback. It. That's the only drawback. But <laughs> it's going to be, I think, when we describe things as hits and misses, that's going to be a smash. I can see it. I, I think so. I'm already writing my acceptance speech. <laughs> Jackie, lovely to speak to you. Thanks so much. You too. And that's it from It's Friday this week. Thanks to all my guests and thank you to you for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify and leave us a review. And if you'd like to get in touch, email us at itsfriday at mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back next Friday and every week with your Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk. But for now, I'm Jim White. Goodbye. Goodbye.